Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the 40 Guard Labs Threat Intelligence Podcast. My name is Jonas, and once again, I have my co-host Amar Lakani with me. Amar, how are you doing today? Jonas, I am wonderful. Always glad to be back with you. It has been busy recently, and I think one of the reasons is the big hack and the big targets in the Microsoft Exchange Server Data Breach, which we has, have been tracking for quite a couple of weeks now. I don't know about you, Amar, but myself, I've been reading a lot. I've been doing a lot of research about it, and it seems like there's still a lot of things which are not clear yet, but we also have a lot of information which uh, paint a pretty good picture about what happened. What is your experience regarding this, uh, these attacks? Well, you know, I think it's, it's funny, like since like 20, really 2018 and 2019, it always seems like we had one major hack every year like that. We were waiting for that major attack, the big one for every, uh, you know, each year. It seems like they were about spread out, spread out about 12 months every, every time. And all of a sudden, I think that's we've seen that increase over and over again. We had the solar winds attack happen end of 2020. Obviously, we've had this exchange server 2021 attack that's happened. And, um, you know, just to summarize, right, I'm sure everyone knows about it now, but Microsoft had had released four, four uh, patches for four zero days uh, and the combination of these zero days, it was an out-of-band patch. So they, you know, out-of-cycle uh, patch. So, so important. They said they released it right away, now waiting for updates. And ever since then, and probably even a little bit before they released that, uh, we've been seeing attacks, even at Fortigar Labs, we've seen an increase of uh, attacks that uh, have been targeting those vulnerabilities. Yeah, definitely. And I think it speaks uh, pretty clear message when patches are released out of the schedule. And I think what's interesting here is when we look at the attack chain, there have been multiple versions which were affected. So it's not just the newest one or a very old one. And the, as you mentioned, there are multiple series which have been discovered. And due to a combination of, of some of them, adversaries are actually capable of getting access to exchange environments. Uh, dropping malware once they're in there, um, exfiltrating data. So it is quite a big thing. And I think even if we look at the CVS score of the exploits, all of them are uh, close to eight. Some of them even, one of them even above nine. So we see a pretty high score based on the severity of these, uh, ex of these uh, zero days. Yeah, absolutely. So just to make it clear, it is on-premise exchange. Um, I think it starts off, uh, you'll have to keep me honest, I think it's uh, exchange 2013 and higher. Uh, uh, and, uh, you, you know, so, but it is on-premise exchange. And how attackers are getting their initial access is, you know, exploiting or taking advantage of the vulnerabilities that, uh, that, that were out there in those CVEs. And then the second thing they're normally doing is establishing persistence, getting a web shell. Uh, you know, what we We've seen, uh, you know, things come in the form of uh, a China chopper, you know, a couple of other things that are happening as well. But they're trying to get a web shell, you know, get, get initial access and then uh, establish persistence by uh, uh, getting a web shell on the systems. Yes. So what we see is that attackers are first scanning the Internet for these vulnerable exchange servers. This is typical what we see in, uh, in the tag chain. So first we do reconnaissance, we try to understand which environments are vulnerable. And then next, once they found a possible victim, something which is vulnerable, they use the first zero day, which is um, the one with the highest CVSS score as well, to send a HTTP request. And they are capable of 
authenticate uh, in the exchange server. And then they have three other zero days available and they pretty much can choose which one they like to um, to upload a web shell and execute some malicious commands. And this is enough for them to get access to the system and start with their post-exploitation. Um, Amar, do you want to give a summary about post-exploitation? What are the things which malicious threat actors are usually doing once they have access to these systems and they can uh, dig around? Well, let's, uh, yeah, absolutely. So post-exploitation is what do I do when I have access to the code? So as you said, they're taking advantage of the vulnerabilities and then they're uploading, uh, you know, some sort of, uh, uh, you know, web shell to the account. The web shell is, is basically a piece of code. It's not on disk. It's, a lot of times it's run in memory. So it's very difficult for, um, you know, traditional AV or signature based AV to detect. Um, but then what happens is it's basically used as a medium or as a kind of as a tunnel. And I'm not talking about as a VPN tunnel. I'm just talking about tunnel in the generic uh, sense of the word. But it's basically used as a tunnel or as a medium to deliver additional code, additional malware, or additional exploits. Normally, what these attackers are doing is what we have been finding in our investigations, at least, is usually when we see an exploited exchange server, one of the first things we're seeing is a credential dump access. So they're using things like proc dump to like, uh, you, you know, to dump credentials. They're using, uh, you know, things like NTDS uh, uh, utilities to uh, dump cr dump credentials. Uh, that, that means they're basically stealing usernames and passwords. And these exchange servers, they're on-premise exchange servers. So that means that they're usually part of a domain. It also usually means there's a domain address or a service account that's running. So they have usually very, very good access on this box to start, uh, you know, start stealing uh, credentials. Of course, they're doing other things as well. You know, they're doing things like collection. We saw things like lateral movement that we'll uh, talk about. Uh, you know, they, uh, they were doing, uh, um, you know, a few other things as well that, that we saw. But uh, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and finish your thoughts off too, Jonas. Yeah, you mentioned a lot of interesting points. So you mentioned, for example, lateral movement, and I think that's something we should uh, dig a little bit deeper because once we have access to one of these systems, a completely new world opens up for us because now we are inside the network. And very often, not, a, not everything, not all the data is in one single server. So once we have access to a server inside the network, it starts pretty much all over again. We start doing, again, with reconnaissance. We look about what kind of systems are inside this network, where might be the, the valuable data. And based on the plan of the attackers, they, 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 they think about what should they do next. So let's assume threat actors, they want to drop some ransomware. So these guys are usually pretty sophisticated and smart, try to be ahead of the curve. So instead of just taking the first infected uh, system and drop some uh, ransomware, what they do is they try to understand where are the possible backups, for example. Because once they have access to the backups, they can make sure that once the ransomware encrypted all the systems, the victim is not capable of relying on their backup. So a lot of time, threat actors spend a lot of times, uh, uh, quite a lot of time in inside corporate networks, try to understand what is going on, try to understand the company, try to understand the processes. And then also, as you mentioned, exfiltration of data is something which we have seen much more in ransomware attacks these days, because if victims don't want to pay for the for the keys to get their data back, 
they start blackmailing their victims. They're like, okay, you don't want to pay it. You, you won't get your data back. On top of that, we will also sell your data or we will also blackmail you in, in that way. And especially when we take a look about this Microsoft Exchange server data breach, most of the targets are um, are quite a lot of uh, potential clients or, or, or customers which have a lot of um, interesting information available due to internal research, due to... Um, the infection disease and research law firms, higher education institutions, defense contractors, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so Jonas, you, you mentioned a lot. I mean, lateral movement is definitely some of the things that attackers will always try and do, land and expand. And one of the things that's making it difficult, and we've seen this like over and over again in multiple uh, attacks that we've investigated, and we see this over again, you know, with uh, uh, with this attack. In fact, it's a it's it's a well known method that a hafnium, uh, which is which is a possible threat actor, which is a threat actor, right? I mean, I'm I'm not uh you know I don't work for the uh, U.S. government, so I'm not I'm not like looking at the threat actors as closely, but we know Hafnium, they do a lot of uh, lateral movement. And one of the things that they've used in the past is use PS exec. And we see that over and over again in like a lot of attacks is that attackers are using PS exec for lateral movement. And so they're, they're, what attackers are doing is they're using a technique, what we call living off the land. That means they don't even have to upload new code uh, to attack you. Uh, they're using the tools that are already existing. And a lot of, I, I tell like a lot of my, you, you know, customers that, you know, know if you have to do things like remote copy you need to do uh things where you have to use ps exec on your system try and use like remote powershell if you can because what happens is when an administrator which is uses ps exec and almost every administrator does because it's a very popular tool and sometimes you don't have a choice you don't have a secondary choice but when you do have to use ps exec it actually caches the the credentials uh, that that that's being used on that system as well. So now an attacker has one more avenue of capturing a password. And usually, if you're using PS Exec, it means you're probably an admin or a domain admin anyway. So it just gives a user one more opportunity. And then you're right. Then what they do is they'll go into other systems. They'll have more usernames and passwords. They can, uh, you know bring up remote shares with uh, SMB as well now and move around, add, hide more things, add more persistence, whatever they want to do. And as you said, uh, the last thing you mentioned is one common thing that we're starting to see uh, as uh, as we'll uh, say, oh, dear cry, right? Uh, like dear cry, another uh, piece of ransomware that was basically uh, piggybacking off these vulnerabilities. So one of the things they started to do was after they did lateral movement is they uploaded ransomware. In this case, specifically dear cry, I'm sure we're gonna, going to see a lot more malware being uploaded specifically uh, taking advantage of these vulnerabilities. But dear cry was one where it was ransomware attacking these organizations, not one system. Once, they're, once they have lateral movement, they're in the entire organization, possibly. Yeah, there's so much planning during these attacks happening. And I think it really shows that these tractors are very sophisticated. They have a plan. They know what they want, um, whether it's espionage or making as much money as possible. And there are also trends where we have seen in the past where these tracked actors are specifically targeting companies, for example, who sell cyber insurance. So they try to understand, oh, who is buying cyber insurance? But so to get the answer for that, why not attack first the companies who provide this insurance, then understand who is actually buying these services? Because if they have this service, it's pretty likely that they will pay pretty quickly 
due to ransomware amounts because they actually pr uh, purchased this service. So it, it really shows these threat actors, they have a plan. They know how to make uh, as much money as possible. And all they do is they focus 24-7 on executing these plans. And if we don't do our research on a defensive side, it's a, it's a tough game if one party is prepared and, and the other party is not. Man, that is brilliant if you think about it. This is sales 101 in any industry. Like, go where the money's at. So, uh, you know, to summarize what you're saying is the ransomware attackers, the, the bad guys, they're essentially targeting people that can pay or whether whether it's through insurance, whether it's by themselves, whatever means that's necessary, right? But they're essentially targeting people that will pay. Obviously, if they are uh, targeting, um, you know, people that have, you know, cyber insurance, and, you know, there's a more likelihood that, you, you know, it's an easier payout, right? Because like, you know, most companies, I think some companies are going to think I already have cyber insurance. The cyber insurance is going to pay. I've already paid my insurance, my premium. So I just want my data back. They're going to pay. Let them handle that. So, um, you know, attackers know uh, attackers want to get their money as easy and as fast as possible. And it's it's a little bit of a brilliant strategy if you think about it. Yeah, and it also shows that these attackers, they work like businesses, like like we all know them. We They have uh, they have people working there, they have support people, they have account managers, CEOs, and the biggest difference is they have malicious uh, purposes and, um, and try to make money out of uh, cybercrime incidents. But if you take away that part, I think these companies, they work like normal businesses sometimes. They have structure, they have processes in place, they know how to make as much money as possible and it's all about the return of investment so for them active acting in in a way that it, it might make sense financially for them is is very similar than we know it from most companies yeah, absolutely. So, Jonas, I have a question for you. Like, if and, and your opinion, I'm kind of interested in knowing about this. Is you know, if you are going to get hit by a zero day, I mean, we we always, me and you, always talk about how patching is so important and how the best way you know organizations can protect their systems is to ensure that they have patches. But if you do get hit by a zero day and, and you're the you know you don't have an opportunity to patch, what are what 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 are some of the best mitigations? Like, how can organizations protect themselves? from things like this exchange attack or other things that they're seeing as well, like these zero days that are probably going to get more and more popular and widespread, I think, as time goes on. I think one of the most important pieces here is to have a plan in advance, because the last thing I want is make a big decision and come up with a plan or even develop a plan once an attack is already happening or when it happened a couple of days ago. So these are the things which we need to think in advance. We need to think about, hey, where is my business most likely to be vulnerable? How can I be hurt the most? And how should I proceed during one of these attacks? We need to have policies, structures, and plans in advance. And people need to, to know how to follow these guidelines once cyber attacks happens. Because I can only imagine, I've, I fortunately never was in the situation myself, but imagine you're uh, the decision maker of a, of a security team inside a company and one of these attacks is, is happening. I think everyth everything goes, goes wild. People are scared. They cannot work anymore. Their systems are encrypted. And if you, if you need to develop a plan how to yeah, backfire or, or save yourself uh, during an attack, it's, it's way too late because 
people cannot be calm. They don't have a proper strategy. And usually when a lot of emotion is in place, the decision which you make are not the smartest ones. So I very much want to highlight that having a plan in advance to think about these cyber attacks and what to do during certain kind of situations is, is key in my opinion. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I used to tell uh, when I when I used to create IR plans, I always used to tell my clients, uh, you know, the steps for an IR plan is step one, make sure you have a plan. Step two, always execute to that plan. Um, step three, uh, just be prepared to make uh, to be prepared because that plan will probably at one point go completely off the rails and. Uh, <clears throat> Like completely out the window, and then at that point, yeah, throw away your plan and start over again. But uh, uh, but uh, you know that's not completely true. I think uh, 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 you know I think being prepared is is the best key. As as we've always said, you don't want to be making those IR plans at the last minute. You want to know what your next steps are always going to be before that emergency happens. So I think that's uh, uh, that's that's always a great idea, and I think that's a really well said, Jonas. Yeah, I think that sums up the, the topic pretty good as well. I mean, we could talk on for hours here, but um, yeah, it was, was very good to talk to you more to, about the recent happenings. And we, we talk soon again about the next happenings in cyberspace. Thanks for joining me once again. Hey, thank you, sir. Always, uh, always good to be here and I will see you next time. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. We are out.